Good morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. Welcome to, to Fusion City Church. It's a week two of our series that we started last week called My Imperfect Family. We, we all learned together last week that, that none of us have a family that's perfect, but that all of us can have hope because we, we believe in and we trust in and we look to a God who is all about restoration and redemption and, and transformation. And we learned last week that if God is going to transform our families, that it can start with us. That instead of looking at everybody else and saying, hey, God, fix them, that we should look at us ourselves and say, hey, God, let it start with me. And then kind of infiltrate and, and, and disseminate into everybody that's around me. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go and listen to the, the podcast on our website. You can kind of catch up with that. But um, the, the big idea that I, that I want to kind of start us with today is we talk about how we take our imperfect family and how we manage that and how we navigate through you know, living life together with, around other people that are imperfect and we're imperfect and all together we make this imperfect family. How do we navigate that together? That's kind of the the goal of this series, trying to figure some of that stuff out. So the thing that I want to talk about today is kind of the, the foundation on which a family is built, and that is marriage. Families are built around this, this concept that we know called marriage. And, and I believe this to be true. I think the Scripture teaches this, that a Christ-centered family, and we talked last week that that was our goal, to have a family centered on, on Christ. A Christ-centered family begins with a Christ-centered marriage. You see, God has a design in mind for marriage. And if you're, you're not married today or maybe you're thinking about one day I'm, I'd like to get married, then this still, still applies to you too, right? Or if you, if you know anybody that's married, this applies to them. So even if, it's not, even if you're not a married person, no plans to ever get married, uh, this is still, I think, really helpful advice to things that we're going to talk about today because I believe that God has a design for your family. I think that God has a design for your marriage. I think God has a design for parenting and how we handle finances and all of the, all of the things that make up family. God has a design for all of those. And anytime we get outside of the design that God has in mind because he's the, he's the creator of it, therefore he gets to be the designer of it. Anytime we step outside of, of God's design for family, design for marriage, design for anything, anytime we step outside of those things, difficulties ensue. And the, the, the more things that we step outside of God's design with and the more often that we do it, the the more difficult life gets. So let me just kind of give you God's design. Now this is, again, we are all part of families that are imperfect. Like this is not a, let me tell you how jacked up you are, but you are. I mean, come on, this is, you are, you're, a little, you're a little messed up. You know what, your family, they got some issues. My family, we got some issues too. But if we could create God's design in a vacuum and where we could get it perfectly right, this is what it sounds like. Christian, Christ-following, Christ-centered parents give birth to Christian, Christ-centered boy. Christian, Christ-centered boy grows up in a home centered on Christ. And when he's of age to start dating, looks for a girl born to Christian parents, brought up in a Christian home with Christ-centered culture, values, and directives. So 
Christ following, looking for, seeking out, Christ-centered boy, girl, boy, looks for, you, you get what I'm saying, looks for, Christ-centered, grew up in a Christian home, girl, they, they save themselves, they don't have sex before they get married, they wait until they get married, and then Christian, Christ-centered boy, Christian, Christ-centered girl, they get married, they stop saving themselves because now it's game on, they have little Christ-centered boys and girls of their own who grow up in a home centered on Christ, who grow up looking for people of, that they're going to marry that are, grew up in Christ-centered homes, and then everybody lives happily ever after until one of them dies because till death do us part. Right? They, they stay married, and then they die. Like that's just kind of, that's, that's, that's God's design for marriage. That's the way that he wanted it to be. And any time we get any of that stuff out of order, any time we step out of this design that God has for family, life gets more difficult and it gets harder. Because God being a perfect God designed families to work. If they would work according to his design, they would work perfectly. But none of us have that perfect family, now do we? And the reason that I know that is true is because I've experienced that. If you're part of a blended family, you know that to be true. Either you or your spouse or your children or somebody got some things out of order and your life is more difficult as a result, because if you got stepkids, now you're parenting kids that somebody, that they got another mama or another daddy somewhere. And you have to figure out all that kind of stuff. I, I come out of a blended family. My parents are divorced. I got a, I got a stepdad and a half brother. I, I, I have all that. And at one point in my growing up punk years, you know how we all get, like in those teenage years when you get real punk, like, you know, you, you think you know everything and you're going to hurt as much as you can hurt. There was a day and a time where I looked at my stepdad who loved me and treated me great and parented me well. I looked him in the face and told him he wasn't my real dad. Because that's what punk teenage kids do in, in blended families. And those are some of the kind of difficulties that we have to, to navigate through as we get outside of God's design. And we've all done it. So today... What I want to talk about is God's design for marriage. And this is a bit uncommon for me most of the times when, when I'm on this stage and, and I, I preach in, in any arena, this one or others. I, I try to find biblical principles that apply to everybody because I believe whether you're a Jesus follower or not that the things that, that, that Scripture teaches us can apply to you and benefit your life whether you believe them or not. I think they're just good, practical, really good advice. But for the purposes of today, for the purposes of today, I'm going to talk to the Christians in the room. And that's, that's really, again, that's, that's kind of uncommon for me. I don't like to just talk to Christians because I know that a lot of you Christians bring some of your friends who aren't yet Christian. And, man, we, if you're not a Christian and you're here, man, we're excited that you're here, that, that your friend told you this was a safe place to come and kind of figure some stuff out about Jesus. And we love that about Fusion City. And we're really, really glad that you're here. But today, I, I'm not, I can't talk to you. And here's why. Because I only know one way to make marriage work the way that God designed it to work, and that's doing it God's way. So if you don't have a relationship with, with your heavenly father through Jesus, his son, I just, I just I don't know another way to tell you how to get it right. The principle that I'm going to lay out for us today is explicitly for Christians. 
and, and, and here's why, right? Because the one who creates it, and marriage was God's idea. We read back, way back in Genesis chapter 1, it says that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Marriage was God's idea. God came up with it. Because he is the creator of it, he gets to decide the design for it. We try again? He came up with it. He gets to set the rules. And anytime we get outside of his design, things get harder when we don't operate under the design that was intended. Let, let me show you what I mean. I, uh, I need a volunteer. I like, I like crowd interaction. Let's see. Who am I going to find? Who am I, I going to pick out? Who am I going to pick out? Somebody, somebody. No, no, I need somebody that can drive a nail, Caden. Uh, can you drive a nail? You can? All right, come on. Come on, Bryson. Everybody say hello to Bryson. Bryson's going to come up and, and, and show us how to drive a nail. So I have, uh, I've taken the liberty, Bryson, of making it a little bit easy for you. I started them, okay? So there they are. And all I want you to do is I want you to nail this board on top of that board. Easy enough? All right. Here's a screwdriver. Come on, man. Any dude that has ever hammered a nail has at one time in their life or another used something to hammer a nail that wasn't a hammer. You see, when you don't have the thing that it was designed, I'll tell you what, when you don't have the thing that was designed to do what it was supposed to do, it makes it pretty difficult to do it right. Sometimes, though, sometimes we get really, 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 really close to God's design, but not quite there. So here you go. That's a hammer. That's what you needed, right? That, that not, not working too well for you? Why not? Close but not quite the real thing, right? You know why? Because this wasn't designed to drive 16-penny nails. That's why this is not going to work for you. You see, what you needed was the real thing that does. You want to try that? Here, I'll hold it on this end. Good enough. Good enough. Let me sit. Go sit down, man. I got this thing. You see, everybody give Bryson a hand. He... It's a valiant effort. You see, there, there was something designed to hammer nails. There was something designed to hammer 16 penny nails. But anytime we try something that's outside of the design for which it was intended, life just gets harder. Can you drive a nail with a screwdriver? I have. It's not a lot of fun. I gave him this little toy hammer just because I wanted to see him try. <laughs> You know, but sometimes we get pretty close. Both of these are hammers, but, but only one of them was designed to drive framing nails. And only one thing works the way that it was intended. I guess I should have showed you that way, show you that it worked. And, and see, the same thing is true of our marriages God is the one that designed marriage and how it's supposed to work. And we're going to talk about that a lot today. And you might meet people who, who aren't Christians. And you might have married someone that's not a Christian. And you look at your life and you look at your marriage and you think, you know, I don't care what that guy says. I think we're doing pretty good. And I would tell you 
that there is a better way to be married that you just haven't experienced yet. And you might be having a little bit of success driving a few nails, but you are never going to nail it. You see what I did there? (laughs) Until marriage happens the way that God designed it to. It's always going to be a little bit less than. It's always going to be a little bit watered down. And there's always going to be a better version that you won't have the opportunity to experience until you do it God's way. And so for the rest of our time together here this morning, I want to share with you what I see in the pages of Scripture as being God's way, God's design for marriage. Because I want you in your marriages, either now or in the present, to nail it. So let's look together. As what Paul says in, a chap- in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, Paul is going to give us an introductory statement into how marriage works by talking about how relationships in general work. And this is what he says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, watch this. Submit to one another, not out of reverence for one another. You see, I would expect, my wife's name is Aaron, I would expect God to say, or Paul speaking on behalf of God, I would expect him to say, Brian, submit to Aaron out of reverence and respect for Aaron. But that's not what he says. And if you're not a Christian, that's kind of all you're left with. Like you just try to submit to them and they try to submit to you. That's kind of all you're left with. But, but Paul here gives us a different idea of how marriage is supposed to work. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ in response to what he's done. And, and reverence, all reverence means is like, whoa. That's what reverence means. Like, like it's like, it's like, all like, ah. And it's like, you know, reverence, like, whoa and ah. That's, that's what Paul's talking about. And, and what he's saying is that all of that reverence, ah, and awesomeness that you feel towards God. That in response to that, out of reverence for him, you should pour that on your spouse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, it would be like this. It would be as if I had a conversation with with God that that, kind of went like this. Like, God, I'm I'm so grateful for for all that you've done for me. Like, I was was a sinner. I was all kinds of messed up. And now I'm a lot less messed up. Still got some work to do. But I'm I'm less messed up than I used to be. And you've forgiven me of my sins. And you've given me your son, Jesus, as a Savior and a Lord. And I'm just so grateful. God, what can I do to show you how, how thankful I am for all that you've done for me? And God would look at me. Are you serious? Like, yeah, God, I'm serious. He's like, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all of that nah, that you've got to, I don't even know what the word is, like ah, just all that that you feel towards me, and I want you to shower that down on Aaron. No, 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 God, this is, this is between me and you. Like you did something for me, and now I want to do something for you. And God would say, I hear you. And the thing that I want you to do for me in response to what I've done for you is I want you to go and to love and submit and serve your wife well. So, so God, do you mean to tell me 
that I can't have a horrible marriage, a horrible relationship with my wife, and still get something going on with you? Like, that's just not how. And God's like, nah. Because what I want you to do is I want you to submit. That just all submit means is to put her deal ahead of your deal. That's all submit means, their deal ahead of your deal. I want you to submit to your wife out of reverence, not for her, but out of reverence for Christ. Then he gets specific. Verse 22. Now he's going to talk to the wives specifically. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands because they're awesome and deserve for you to submit to them. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands because they can be trusted with your submission. Submit to your husbands because they will never mistreat the submission. Submit to your husbands because they'll always have your best interest at heart. Submit to your husbands because they're always going to get it right. And be worthy of your submission. <laughs> That's not what it says. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to who? To the Lord. That in the same way that you have submitted yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ in response to what he's done, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as you do to the Lord. And then he, then he comes over to the husband's. Right, not going to leave them out. Husbands, love your wives just as they deserve to be loved because they're always going to be amazing. No, here, same thing, right? Same thing. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you know who the church is? That's you. That's you. You got to love your wife just like Christ loved you. You know, you all jacked up, messed up, hardly ever get it right, you, that Jesus loved you anyway and then told you that in the same way that he loves you is how you are to go and love your wife, husbands. It's not about what they've earned. It's not about what they deserve. It's about submitting to them, submitting to one another, not out of reverence for one another, but out of reverence for Christ. God, that's kind of asking a lot. I mean, have you met him? Have you seen some of the stuff he pulls off? God's like, it's not about him. It's not about him. It's about me. Submit to him out of reverence for me. Do you know why God designed marriage to work this way? It's because God wanted your spouse to be the earthly representation of his love for you. That God wasn't content to be big old, invisible, almighty God up in the clouds somewhere, just distant and, and unable to be seen. But that he wanted my wife 
to know how passionately and desperately and wonderfully that he loved her. And in order to accomplish that, he put me there. And then he told me not to love her how she deserves to be loved, but to love her how he deserves to be loved. And God so loved me that he put my wife there to be his physical, tangible, in his presence type of love in my life. He put my wife there and then gave us a directive to love our spouse in the same way that Christ loved us. Man, what a huge responsibility that is, right? Isn't, isn't that a little bit overwhelming? Like, I am supposed to be the representation of God's love to my wife. God's love. You know, not my little, I ain't figured it out yet. No, God's love for her. That's huge. That is a massive responsibility. But doesn't it sound pretty good coming the other way? Yeah, I kind of like the way that sounds, don't you? Like, hey, I like that. Hey, baby, you just forget all about that wrong stuff that I did and just pour out the love of Jesus on me. I like it coming that way. Imagine a marriage where it goes both ways. That's the design. That's the ideal. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the right tool for having a healthy, Christ-centered marriage. Now, let me talk to the single people for a minute. Because you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I don't have a spouse. How am I supposed to get loved by God? I got you. Paul in Scripture calls singleness a gift. And I think that's really appropriate. What that means is that God has created in you, if you have decided to be single for the rest of your life, and you feel that's the call in your life, man, that's kudos to you because, because Scripture calls that a gift. And I believe that the gift that God gives to those who who are are designed to be single for their life is the ability to know and respond to God's love apart from having to have another person show it to you in the form of a spouse. I, I believe that. So if you are single and plan to stay single for the rest of your life, just know that that God is with you in that and has gifted you to be able to experience the same kind of love just without a spouse there to give it to you. That just means, I think that means you have more receptivity to God than I do. I needed a wife there to know God's love. Man, kudos to you if you don't. So no, no pressure to be married because I got I to gotta figure out how to be loved by God. I better go find me a bride. You know, like nothing, that's not we're, not, we're not looking for that. All right. God has designed, though, for those of us that are married, which I a pretty good percentage of us are. God has designed how we submit to one another to be the way that marriage works. And so here's, here's the big idea for today. You can write this down. Mutual submission is God's design for marriage. That's how it's supposed to work. I love you not based on what you deserve, but based on my submission and my response to Christ. And I'm glad that God designed it this way because there's going to come a day 
there's going to come a day when they are not going to deserve to be loved well. And there's going to come a day when you don't deserve to be loved well. I know some of y'all might find this hard to believe. But go with me, if you can, in your mind, just hypothetically. Imagine a scenario where I'm not perfect. I know, it's a stretch. (laughs) Imagine that there are days when I get moody and irritable. I don't know, I'm just spitballing here. Let's say that, like, I lose my temper and I yell at people for no reason because... I don't, you know, we didn't get out of the house fast enough. I don't know. I'm just trying to come up with some things that probably never, ever happened. <laughs> Can I tell you what I want on those days? I want to be married to a woman that, that chooses to love me according to something bigger than, better than me. I want to be loved by a woman that day, not because of what I've deserved or earned by my behavior that day, but I want to be loved by somebody that's committed to something outside of herself, outside of us, and outside of our marriage. See, that's what makes marriage a covenant, not a contract, because it's not just the relationship between husband and wife, but it's the relationship between husband and wife and wife to God and husband to God. All of that in there together makes it a covenant. And I know the pushback. And the pushback is this. It's like, yeah, yeah, but what happens? What do I do when they fill in the blank? Like, shouldn't I hold them accountable for making sure that they do X, Y, and Z? I mean, do I... Should I really be expected to be nice to them and to love them and serve them and submit to them when they're acting like a feeling? Yeah, you're really going to have to fill in that blank. But do you know what you call it when your response to a situation is dictated by the behavior of the other person to where you try to manage and control their behavior by by, by repercussions and rewards, that when they behave well, they're rewarded, and when they don't behave well, there are repercussions. Do you you know what you call that? Parenting. That's called parenting. And nobody got married because they wanted another parent. Marriage between two Christ followers is supposed to be, here's the word, unconditional. You know what that word means? It means no conditions, that there is nothing that can happen, nothing they can do, nothing they can say, nothing, nothing, no condition exists where they become undeserving of your love, service, and submission to them. Why? Because you're not submitted to them out of reverence for them. You're submitted to them out of reverence for Christ. That's the way marriage is supposed to work. And here's the fear, and I know it. It makes you so vulnerable because here's ultimately what you're saying. You are saying to your spouse, no no holds barred. Anything you want to do, I'm just going to love you. 
I just, I'm just going to love you. Out, out of response to and out of reverence for Christ. And if you treat that irresponsibly, if you run off, if you do something crazy, if you lose your mind, if you, if you disrespect it, if you dishonor me, what? there's going to come a day where, where I'm going to stand before God. And I'm going to say, God, I, I just loved her. I was so grateful to you for all that I had experienced in my life through, through your blessing and provision. God, I, I just loved her. And she treated my love irresponsibly, and she ran off, and she did something crazy. And, God, that's between her and you. I, I was still called to be a godly husband despite what she did. God, I was just called to be a godly wife, and so I just loved him. And he disrespected me. And he treated me poorly. God, that's between you and him. But I just loved him because I was so grateful to you. And as dangerous and as scary and as frightening as that scenario is, it's equally as beautiful. To open yourself up like that, to make yourself that vulnerable to another person, and then have them respond compassionately and lovingly and wonderfully to you. To have all the freedom in the world because they know your commitment to Christ. To mistreat you, to treat you poorly, to do you wrong. And then for them to choose not to. And to choose to love you even though they don't have to. Man, it's so beautiful. And it's the best way to be loved. To be most loved requires us to be most vulnerable. You can write that down. If you want to, to experience the best, fullest, most intense type of love, it requires of you to make yourself the most vulnerable. There's nothing. I have no expectations, no conditions. I'm going to love you well in response to who Christ is, whether you love me well and back or not. That's the way God designed marriage to work. That's marriage done God's way. Marriage done God's way requires an understanding of what it feels like to be loved unconditionally by him before you can love anybody else unconditionally. That's why, for me, this, that's, that's why it only applies to Christians. Until you, you have experienced the unconditional love of Christ, you have no idea how to give that kind of love away. And so in response to that, here's, here's how we apply this. This week, here's what we do with this. I think you need to take stock of your marriage if you're married. I think you need to look at all of the things that, that are conditions in, in, in your marriage and in your relationship to your spouse. That I, I really feel like loving her when that when, whatever that when, is a condition. Unless it's when I'm responding to Jesus, then that's the only time that the when doesn't run. But if there are conditions for you to, to love and serve and treat your spouse well and care for them well, if there are conditions for that, then you aren't loving like Christ. Your marriage is falling short of being centered on Christ because according to Paul, according to Scripture, we're called to, to love our spouse, submit to our spouse out of reverence, not for them, but for Christ. One more time to the single people and, and then I'll close.
Single people, you're not married yet, but you'd like to be. Here's my, here's my, my, my old man daddy advice. The purpose of dating is to find a spouse, period. Dating was never intended to be something that you do for fun. It was intended for you to find a spouse. Now, if you want to be loved like Christ loves you, it requires you to marry someone who believes that Christ loves them and that they should love you the same way. So if you are dating or thinking about dating someone who is not a Christian, you shouldn't. Because the purpose of dating is to find a spouse. And if you're a Christ follower, why in the world would you ever want to marry someone who's not? Who has a different set of ideals? Who has a different way of looking at the world? And here I've heard this. I used to be in youth ministry. I heard this all the time. Yeah, but I'm dating him so I can share Jesus with him. We call that evangelism dating and no such thing exists. Don't do it. Don't, don't date to try and change them. You can find somebody else to date and you can still, like, preach to them. But don't, don't, don't date them. You got to find somebody that's going to love you like Christ. And that, that requires them to know Christ. We tracking? All right, there's my old man daddy advice. Let's pray together. Father, God, today I hope that, that all of us, Lord, just fall under this idea of knowing that there is a design and a way that you have intended our families to work. There's a way that you have intended our marriages to work. God, there's a way that you've intended for us to date as we prepare for marriage. God, and in all of that, Father, your son Jesus is at the center. That I evaluate how I love my spouse. God, would you help me to find any conditions that exist that would cause me not to love them. God, is there anything that I'm making them earn? God, would you reveal that to us so that we can find a way around it because we don't want to submit to them out of reverence to them. God, we want to submit to them out of reverence for you. And God, you're perfect. You're always deserving of love, always deserving of our reverence and our response and our submission and our love. God, would you help us to love our spouses the way that you've loved us? That's your design. And God, we want to stay within it. So Father... This morning as we make commitments together in here, God, I pray that those things would translate into our weekly, everyday life, particularly as it pertains to our marriages, to our spouse. We love you, Father. We thank you for the example set forth by your son Jesus on how we are to love. God, would you help us to go and do likewise. We pray these things in his name. Amen.